At Amgen, our mission is to serve patients. As a biotechnology pioneer since 1980, Amgen was one of the first companies to realize the promise of this new science by bringing safe and effective novel therapeutics from lab to manufacturing plant to patient. Amgen therapeutics have changed the practice of medicine, helping millions of people around the world in the fight against cancer, kidney disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and other serious illnesses. With a deep and broad pipeline of potential new medicines, Amgen remains committed to moving science forward to dramatically improve people's lives. To learn more about our pioneering science, please visit our website at amgen.com. Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Innovations in Medicine, enhancing the medical community's knowledge of science and biotechnology. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. For more information about Amgen, visit www.amgen.com. We're in the second half of 2007, and we are living through the greatest acceleration of research in the history of medicine, something we've never seen before and we will never see again. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. More than 150 years ago, prospectors found gold at Sutter's Mill, setting off a rush to California that drew 49ers in droves with dreams of striking it rich. Now we are in the middle of an entirely different kind of gold rush, but one whose effects will be felt for decades, perhaps centuries. Don't be surprised if you missed it. It's been in the newspapers, it's been in the medical journals, the evening news in bits and pieces. A gene is found for macular degeneration, the leading cause of blindness, we find out. Doctors uncover some of the genetics of diabetes. What isn't so clear from these scattered news reports, however, is that beginning earlier this year, researchers finally have begun to reap the rewards of the Human Genome Project, completed in 2001. Here to discuss this with us is one of the nation's leading cardiologists, Dr. Eric J. Topol, formerly of the Cleveland Clinic, now professor of genomics at the Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla, California, and a grizzled gold rusher himself. You are involved in this genomics gold rush. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you summarize it very well, Paul. I mean, it is, it is quite a phenomenon. That is, never in the history of disease-oriented research have we seen so much of an avalanche of discoveries and really exciting findings. It's just the beginning in many respects because, as you pointed out, cracking major genes that are related to most of the important diseases is one thing, but these are just markers right now. We don't know how they work. We don't know how they influence susceptibility or protection from the disease. And then, of course, someday there's the opportunity to build on that knowledge to create drugs or devices or specific preventive strategies to preempt the disease from occurring. Just to be a little more precise, so let's say if you could divide the 3 billion base pairs of the genome into, let's say, 250,000 bins or zip codes or, as you call, signposts. So what we have is we know the bin now that's associated with whatever disease or the many bins, for example, for diabetes or breast cancer. But we don't know in that bin which is the exact base or combination of base pairs that are, that are doing their thing. That's one part. And, and what's really amazing is some of the markers 
in the genome are in desert zones. They're not even in a gene. So we don't know exactly how they work at all. They're not in a known gene and they're not in a message. So it's a very interesting thing. It's a challenge to, to connect the dots now from markers to the disease, that is, to determine the function and the mechanism. But in the absence of these studies that we're talking about, all you know is that somewhere in these three billion base pairs, your bin is the whole thing, in a sense, and this narrows it down from three billion base pairs to to how many, typically? To just thousands. Thousands, so it's a huge... Most of them are in a gene somewhere, so you know that that gene is implicated uh, for sure, but we still don't know, except for really one out of the 25 diseases that have been cracked, you know, exactly how that coding change, that variant in a particular bin causes or induces susceptibility to a disease. That's a lot of work that needs to be done. It's a unique moment, as you've pointed out in your in your commentary in a recent issue of the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, that the Human Genome Project, of course, took years and billions of dollars, and it, it took years to get to the point where a project like that could be mounted. But that was in 2001. Why did it take until 2007 to start taking advantage of the results of that huge project? Right, that's a really great question. There were two big things that had to happen in order for it to go from 2001 to 2007. One of them was to be able to break down the genome into these little bins, and that required this thing called the International Hap Map, and that was basically work all around the world with different ancestries to find out the blocks or the bins of the genome that are inherited, you know, as a bin or a block. That took a few years. The International Hap Map project, H-A-P-M-A-P, and that was basically separating these three billion base pairs into these bins. Exactly. So that you could just have a marker for each bin. And how, how many of these bins are there? Did we say that already? It depends on ancestry. For European ancestry, there are about 250,000 bins. For African ancestry, there's almost 500,000 bins. Why more for African ancestry? Because that's where everything started. And so there's a lot more diversity or variation. That's one piece. And then simultaneously, what had to occur and what made this all technically doable was there had to be ways to look at up to 500,000 variants or SNPs, you know, base code, base pair changes in any individual. The technology had to come along to be able to do that so that we could look at, now we can look at up to a million per individual. But, you know, it only in the recent times, that's what led to this flood of discovery, has it been possible to look at, first it was, you know, 300, 200,000, 300,000, now 550,000 is pretty standard. Number one was identifying these bins uh, on the genome. Number two, being able to sort of scan them all and see which which are important. And we're talking about the gene, the so-called gene chip. There's only three companies in the world that have made these, Illumina, Affymetrics, and Perligen, to be able to do this, you know, up to, up to a million SNP scan. Is it like a computer chip? What is a gene chip? It is a chip, but there's different methods for doing it, tile arrays or beads. or You start it with each person's DNA and then, you know, it has to scan these locator bin SNPs, 300,000 per individual, and then you're scanning thousands of people. 
that's actually one of the things that's formidable is that the technology exists now, the hap map, of course, of the bins exists, but the expense for doing this is, is formidable. I mean, to study, let's say, 800 patients, you're talking about a couple million dollar project. So these are really expensive projects to run. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. This is Innovations in Medicine. We're talking to Dr. Eric Topol about the genomics gold rush. But uh, now that these chips are available, it may be, it, what it takes now is several million dollars for a group that's interested in a particular disease to buy the chips, run the studies, and they've got their genes. Well, yeah, but you forgot one thing, Paul. You, you have to assemble those hundreds or thousands of patients. The cases and controls, and that takes a lot of work and time, too. Once you get the patient's DNA, cases and controls, and the technology assembled, this is eminently doable. But a lot of those cases and controls have been collected over years and are available, isn't that correct? It depends, but, you know, all the ones that were used for these recent gold rush of disease discoveries were relatively recent. They were done specifically for the so-called genome-wide association studies. They weren't just lying around, you know, the DNA in somebody's freezer that they culled out. That's an interesting point, actually, is geneticists who've worked on some of these things for decades and stored DNA, that's not always going to be appropriate for these kinds of studies. Is that what you're saying? Right. What did you say? There have been about 25 diseases so far? To this point, there were a couple in 05 and 06, and then 23 more diseases have been cracked. Tick off a few of the a few of those for us, just so we get a sense. Amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, restless leg syndrome, or some of the neurologic diseases: prostate cancer, colon cancer, breast cancer, diabetes type one, diabetes type two, heart attack and coronary artery disease, even gallstones, osteoarthritis, of course, and macular degeneration. The list goes on and on. It's just amazing, actually. There are two things to me that are amazing about it. One is that, you know, the technology has become available and suddenly it really is like the miners rushing off to the California hills, you know, as fast as they can to try to try to grab the treasure. What's also interesting, I guess also like the 49ers, this thing is going to come to an end relatively soon. All this work will have been done. That's right. There aren't that many more diseases that have been left open yet. And the one thing, though, just to mention is that the genes that have been discovered, no one would ever have surmised. You know, this is all done in a hypothesis-free, you know, you, you let the genome talk. You go in there completely agnostic. You, you basically come out with the things that you never would have supposed or, or hypothesized. Now, the second thing, though, is for each of the diseases, you know, we have, let's say, a key major gene. Some of them, like diabetes and breast cancer, we have many, or if not most, of the genes identified. Particularly, that's the case for macular degeneration. So even though we talk about a disease that's been cracked, it may only be, like for heart attack and coronary disease, it's one major gene that it that explains, let's say, perhaps a fourth of heart attacks. For obesity, we have one major gene that explains perhaps a fifth of obesity. And also in select populations like those of a European ancestry. So I don't want to convey the sense that each of these diseases are fully dissected and cracked, you know. A lot more genes will be discovered even in the diseases that have already been approached. Like, for example, macular degeneration started in April of 05, and it's taken until this year to get a much more comprehensive now, probably 90% of the genomic basis of that disease is understood. But that's the point that we're making, that we're in this incredible accelerated phase now, and that's going to slow to a longer-term project when this phase is over. Yes, definitely. 
What does this work mean for cardiology? Oh, it has enormous impact longer term, of course. But for today, you know, people could, if they had a genome-wide scan, which is going to be available in 2008 for anyone who wants to get it, they'll know one of the things is whether this major heart attack marker which isn't in a gene, by the way, but it's a marker. We don't know how it works, but they'll know if they carry that, if they carry two copies of that, which really makes a big jump in risk. So that's one of the things that's going to be commonplace in the being able to predict who's at risk and early on, you know, even as a child or adolescent. Uh, we think we'll stop right there. We've been talking about the genomics gold rush, the most accelerated period of research in medical history, something we're all living through right now. My guest has been Dr. Eric J. Topol, formerly of the Cleveland Clinic, now professor of genomics at the Scripps Research Institute and chief of genomic medicine at Scripps Health. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Topol. Thank you, Paul. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. For comments and questions, send us an email at innovations at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening to Innovations in Medicine on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Innovations in Medicine is sponsored by Amgen, where pioneering science delivers vital medicines. <laughs>